Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is brought to you by With Jack. They help keep you in business by supporting you financially or legally if you have problems with a client. Get the freelance insurance you deserve. With monthly plans and zero cancellation fees, a With Jack policy gives you complete control over your protection. Visit withjack.co.uk and be a confident freelancer. And right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter Graham Piper. I knew that I needed money. If I wanted to leave my job, I couldn't just quit and say, right, here we go, let's try something new. You know, I needed money to sort of back me up. Once I'd made that decision to go freelance, I really had to change my mindset completely and stop my frivolous spending ways and basically just save every spare penny that I had. You know, if you lose out on a pitch when there's no real feedback or whatever, little things like that can kind of knock your confidence. But in the old classic saying, you know, one door closes, another one opens, trust the process and trust that you know, things will happen and, you know, you put things out there and you get good stuff back. Trust the process without freaking out too much. Yeah, so there is Graham, who is a member of the Being Freelance community, but also I met him in person at a live podcast recording. It must have been last November or December. It was certainly very cold. It was very Christmassy. It was in London in this beautiful building overlooking the Thames. It was the All Good Copy podcast live. And I ended up sitting next to Graham. We shared beers. We shared man hugs. Remember when you could do things like that? Kind of makes me a bit sad thinking about it. Anyway, it was a really great night. Great chatting to him then, and it's great chatting to him for this episode. So you finally get to hear uh, Graham's freelance story. That coming up. You can find show notes for this and all of the other 200 guests at beingfreelance.com. There's also a link through to the community. Don't be alone, Being Freelance. Come join us. And if you are new to Being Freelance or you know somebody who is new to Being Freelance, I am finally getting around to launching my own how to get started being freelance course Um, right now of course off the back of the pandemic or during the pandemic um, I should probably say there's more and more people becoming freelance and it helps us all if we help them do it properly and do it well and if that's you or you know someone who's starting out freelance then please go to beingfreelance.com and well if you're listening to this as it goes out you can sign up right now so that you're on the waiting list for when it happens and get it when it first happens at the lowest price it'll ever be or of course if you're listening to this sometime in the future it'll already be live and you can go and jump in and get started so um, I hope to help as many people as I can as always with what I do being freelance but this is a really practical thing a course for you when you're getting started being freelance so go check it out beingfreelance.com and if you know someone who would benefit uh, please do share it either directly with them or of course on on social media that would be great anyway I'll shut up. Let's crack on and chat to this week's guest. That is freelance copywriter Graham Piper. Hey, Graham. Hello. How are you doing? I am good. Thanks for doing this. Really looking forward to hearing your story. How about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? All right. Well, my previous role was in a, uh, I was an assistant marketing manager uh, for a company in Exeter. And I'd been there for about 10 years and I kind of shifted around sort of job roles and job titles and ended up doing that. And as part of my role, I kind of took it upon myself (laughs) to start writing some of the copy for brochures and uh, 
websites and blogs and all that sort of thing. Um, but I didn't do too much of it just now and again. So I never really classed myself as a copywriter in that role at all. Um, and then we, the company grew and the, the team grew and we hired a, a specific copywriter. But of course, um, when we got really busy, there was obviously too much to write. There's always something to write. Uh, it's too much for one person, uh, sometimes. So I used to, um, just chip in every now and again. And one time, uh, my boss said, we've got a new brochure to write. Do you want to have a go? <laughs> so I said, well, yeah, okay. And that was kind of my moment when I thought I quite like writing. <laughs> I quite like doing this. And I look into a bit of research and stuff. I know that I had a bit of a head start because I knew the product and all the, you know, and our sort of style and how we spoke. So, um, on our tone of voice, so that was all good. So I had a bit of a head start. Um, so I wrote this content and I gave it to my boss and he had a few, um, you know, comments and he took out his red pen and crossed through a few things. And I, at the end of the process, I said, look, if you, you know, paid a freelance copywriter to, to write this and this is what they gave you, would you pay them? And he said, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's absolutely good, you know, great to use. So it's no problem. So that was my moment when I thought, hmm, maybe I could uh, <laughs> do something about this and make some money for myself. That was a great question to ask. Did you then also say, and how much would you have paid? I didn't. I didn't. I should have done. I should have done really, shouldn't I? That, that could have made my whole process of the last four or five years much easier. Um, but no, I failed to do that, obviously. So what happened then? Because you're still in-house. I, I was in-house at the time and I, I was still working. You know, that was my only job. And then when I thought, okay, I want to start writing copy for people now. And I had very quickly kind of had these illusions of being a you know working from home and you know getting clients and drifting around to client meetings and getting paid and all this sort of stuff and I had to then check myself and think right that's a long way away yet so let's not get carried away but I knew that I wanted to to do that that was my ultimate goal so very quickly I kind of put my thinking cap on and, and came up with my kind of business name drop cap copy and once I had that, I you know, registered my social media things and got a, uh, bought a domain name and kind of got all that side of it done very quickly. And then I kind of thought, right, I need some clients. <laughs> so what do I do? And this is going back to sort of about April 2015, I think. And I thought, well, how do I get clients? Nobody knows who I am. I don't even know what I'm doing at this point. But I fired off probably about half a dozen emails and um, just kind of said, look, this is what I do. This is what I can do for you, how I can help. Really not expecting anything to come back. And very quickly, I got one response from a local business and ended up doing some editorial for them for the local newspaper, which was great. And I got paid and it was brilliant. It was a bit of a moment. I kind of just carried on under the radar. and I was at the time doing a copywriting course like learning how to you know write for specific you know write for web or editorial that kind of thing and probably about two months later I got another email back from this group of people that I emailed to it said you know we're, we're redoing our website can you help us I was like yes of course so I was very lucky and got two clients kind of pretty much straight away which was great I mean looking back obviously I 
<laughs> charged way too little. Um, and uh, I can, looking back now, I probably think, oh, I could just re- rewrite that completely. But at the time, you know, I was happy with it. And more importantly, the client was happy with it. So that worked out really well. Um, but I felt no pressure because I was still working and I knew that I needed money. If I wanted to leave my job, I couldn't just quit and say, right, here we go, let's try something new. You know, obviously, mortgage payments and all the rest of it, food. Um, You know, I needed money to sort of back me up. So it was a question, once I'd made that decision to go freelance, I really had to change my mindset completely and stop my frivolous spending ways and basically just save every kind of spare penny that I had. And as this was going on, I was trying to pick up the odd client here and there. And every time I got paid for a copy uh, project, that money would get saved. And I just kind of built it up and built it up and sort of didn't spend anything unless I really had to. So in the end, I, I, I gave myself a bit of a war chest of, of finances, which was which was great. And when I finally did hand my notice in, I gave them three months notice and they also wanted me to do a little bit more on top of that. So I just kind of had all that extra little bit of cash coming in. And um, yeah, so when I first started, I thought, right, I've got now, if, if I never get any clients ever again, I've got probably about six months worth of money to see me through before I need to start you know, getting a proper job. <laughs> That's brilliant. And how long like, was that period where you were working on the side as well as still working? Uh, well, that that first batch of emails I sent out was eight, I think it was about April 2015, and I finally hand my handed my notice in. Um, oh, when was it? I think it was April 2016. So there was a year um, of saving money and also you know working and on the side and saving all that money as well. Um, and then I finally left in. Uh, when was it august august 2016 so there was about you know 15 15 months or thereabouts between having that kind of light bulb moment and actually doing it <laughs> and how long like obviously so we're talking just a well uh five five years ago four years ago yeah but yeah. how long had you been working like i don't know how old you are for example but i'm just trying to figure out how long had you been working previous to that so you were a marketing manager yeah i mean basically i i left school and dived into a um now this this is going to show my age a yts scheme which nowadays i think is the equivalent to being an apprentice um and i did that and i kind of worked solidly um up up until then really so it was my whole kind of career um and I was probably about 2013 I started thinking that I wanted a change because I'd been there for a number of years I joined that company in 2006 um as a graphic designer and um right yeah it's a bit of a shift but um the team grew and we got another graphic designer and he was great and I kind of moved into the assistant manager role but um yeah it was just kind of I've been working the whole time and never I started off as a printer so I was kind of you know always around copy and I moved into the graphic design side of it and playing around with the words on screen and page layouts and all that sort of stuff 
Um, and then I started to write this copy in amongst my other roles as, as assistant yeah. manager. And, and yeah, that's where it kind of came from. So that's a wealth of um, companies and connections in yes. years, if you like. Indeed. And did, did that help at all when you were then looking for clients as a freelance copywriter? Yes, very much so. Um, because I knew from my background in print and marketing and stuff that many businesses... Um, that we used sometimes in in um you know all our brochure output and stuff like that uh, we used agencies every now and again and i knew that um a lot of the agencies that we used were fairly small you know maybe just a handful of employee or permanent employees um and obviously unless you're absolutely an absolutely huge agency you can't afford to um, employ, you know, full-time web developers and full-time photographers and copywriters and illustrators and all that sort of stuff. So um, the penny kind of dropped pretty quickly. And I thought, well, if they don't employ them in-house, then they have to get them from somewhere. So they obviously look to freelancers. So I kind of had that in my head anyway. And just before I, I left that role, I approached, or I emailed um, a lot of agencies around where I live so in Exeter and Plymouth and, and Torquay and places like that and I emailed them and I, I kind of I was quite bullish about it and I, I set up meetings and said Look, I really want to come talk to you about how I can help you and help your clients and luckily I got meetings with pretty much all of them um, some of them didn't work out but a lot of them did and there's a few of them that I still work for kind of now today so that kind of was a big a big thing for me a big kind of like moment when I thought yes target the agencies because they don't employ copywriters so that that worked really well for me nice um I want to ask you decided right from the off by the sounds of it to choose a business name rather than saying you know Graham Piper copywriter yes what was the thinking behind that um quite simply I don't like my name as a business name um, I'm not that keen on my name anyway, actually, but to use it oh, as... Oh, Graham, a... <laughs> you're breaking my heart. It's a I, lovely name. I know. I think it's probably a personal <laughs> thing. Some people love their name. Other people hate their name. I don't hate my name, but I, I, it didn't suit me to be, like you say, Graham Piper copywriting or it didn't mm-hmm. it just didn't work. It didn't have a have a ring to it. So I, that's when I quickly thought, right, I need a, a name and, you know, business name. Everyone knows it's me anyway. My website says it's me. It's just me, me, myself and I. Um, but I wanted that name just to, um, I don't know, just to make me feel like I was actually doing something proper. And it wasn't just me, even though it is, of course, but it, it made it a bit more rounded, um, if that makes mm. sense. <laughs> so how has it grown then over over the past few years? Has it changed? I want to say yes I've grown exponentially and it's huge and you know but no realistically the my processes haven't really changed the way I find clients hasn't really changed um obviously my client base has grown I've got more clients now than I did have then which is a good thing but I've really kind of purposely kept things small and um, you know, reading Paul Jarvis's book, Company of One, was a, a great kind of leveler. And I thought, yes, I'm, I'm doing something right. I am maintaining my my level. I'm sticking in my lane and I'm keeping small purposely because I'm a freelancer. Right? I don't want to be an agency or, you know, to grow 
and employ lots of people and that sort of thing lots of people do and they move into that and it's great but it's not for me so I purposely keep things small and I purposely keep it just me so and that's the way it works best for me and yeah that's the way I, I like it do you still for example send out cold emails um how, how do your clients come to you now my clients really because I, I fostered a lot of those relationships in the early days with agencies I've been very lucky and had uh, a lot of repeat work from them over the years which is great um, some agencies come to me you know they might just use me once you know for a, for a project um, other others come back repeatedly so that was that's been a big thing for me like I said the agents agency work is is really paid off um, clients also come to me through the website and um, a majority of clients just do Google searches. I always make a point of asking how they found me and a lot of them say just Google search, you know, copyrighted Devon or whatever it, whatever it is. Oh, nice. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Um, but also I get from, from various clients, direct clients as well as agencies, I get a lot of referrals as well. Not huge amounts. I mean, I'm not, you know, lo- overloaded with referrals and things, but Every now and again, um, you know, they say, "Oh, yeah, so and so told us about, you know, about you, and you know, we're looking for some coffee for coffee for you know X Y Z. Can mm. you help? You know." So I've been very lucky, but I think there was a lot of work in those early days of trying to, um, you know, focus my attention on agencies and make myself known uh, and make myself available to them, and it's kind of paid dividends really over the years. How do you manage your workload? Uh, sometimes it feels like with great difficulty, (laughs) um, if you're fortunate, well, if I'm fortunate enough to be very busy, it can get a little overwhelming sometimes because you suddenly think, oh my God, I've got this, 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 and this, oh, you know, and there's this deadline and oh no, how's it going to, how's it going to work? And you start to sort of freak out a little bit, but, um, you know, generally take a deep breath, take a step back, write a list. And once you write that list, then you suddenly think, actually, this job, I can't carry on with that at the moment because I'm waiting for them to come back to me. This job, I'm waiting for them to sign, you know, the kind of contract and stuff like that. So once you work through things like that, things kind of tend to thin out a little bit and you think, right, okay, well, I'll just focus on this, get that one out of the way, you know, and just work through it. So there's often elements of panic. (laughs) There's often elements of worry when you, you don't have enough work coming in or seemingly but yeah, it's just a it's a, just a big old juggling act, really. And if things really get kind of crazy, then I've, I'm lucky that I get a, I've got a lot of clients who are repeat clients, and I'm very comfortable in emailing them or calling them and just saying, "Look, I know you said you wanted this by Friday. Is there any part, you know chance that we could extend that, and I could just ping it over on sort of Monday, Tuesday?" And nine times out of ten, they're very cool with that because you know you've told them you've let them know you're not trying to bury anything and they're yeah, they're happy and say yeah that's fine no problem so you think right okay i've got a bit of breathing space now so it's, it's a bit of give and take and flexibility with with clients uh, it works wonders really and how about where you work where i work in terms of location or in my little home office ah well there you are so you have a home office yeah absolutely have, have... It was is that where you've been all along, or have you tried other ways? No, well, I tried when I when I was still working and I was just dabbling with this copywriting lark. Um, I used to get my laptop and have have it on my lap in front of the TV downstairs, and very quickly I thought, 
you know, this isn't working. This is no good. I can't concentrate. So I then took myself up to um, our small back room upstairs. It's a third bedroom, but it's very small, like a box room. And I used to work in there. We had this kind of ratty old desk that I used to work at. And then once it kind of gathered pace and I was getting more clients and more work, I over time kind of commandeered this room and said, right, this is my office. And now it's completely my office. So I just kind of made it my own. So I can um, come in, shut the door if I need to and uh, work away. And do you tend to work like set hours? Yeah, well, I'm quite regimented. I think it's just years of sort of working for the man. You know, you've got to turn up at nine o'clock and leave at five or whatever hours, you know. Um, So I've always kind of had that routine. Plus, my wife leaves at 7.45. I just then go upstairs, quick shower, and I'm back at the desk by sort of, you know, quarter past eight, something like that. So I can kind of work straight through. But I do have lots of breaks. And, of course, working from home, you know, the postman rings, or you think I've got to load the dishwasher, or I've got to unload the washing and all that sort of stuff. So you get these kind of natural breaks, um, which gives you enough time away from the screen to sort of process things in the old subconscious. But, um, no, it's, it works very well. And, you know, I, I don't think... Anyway, co-working spaces work for a lot of people, yourself included. But I, I can't deal with noise. I need silence. <laughs> I, I'd spent many years in that marketing team, in a team surrounded by a team of about fifteen people. You know, lots of talking and shouting across each other, and you know, not very conducive to writing copy, really. So um, I was very fortunate to come back to my own little space and have silence you know as and when I needed it so yeah I've been very lucky and do you feel like you've I mean by having a home office you've like got a good separation between home and work yeah I think I do um I know that people say oh if you're working at home you never can quite leave it alone whereas if you're in a co-working space you've actually got to leave the house and go somewhere else so there's probably not as great a temptation I would say that I am in this office doing something probably seven days a week most of the time but then again people might think oh my god you're working all the time I don't work all the time really weekends I say I don't generally I say I don't work weekends but if I'm busy then I will work one day of the weekend but it might not even be a full day just just enough to sort of clear the decks but yeah that routine is there and I enjoy working so you know, I don't see it as like, oh, God, I've got to do work today. Well, sometimes you do if the weather's nuts. But I just see it as an opportunity, and especially if my wife is out doing something, whatever, then I think, oh, well, rather than just padding around doing not a lot, I'll just, you know, carry on and finish that blog or whatever it may be. But, like, working from home, be, you know, by being by yourself all day, do, do you feel isolated mm. or are you part of, uh, like, a, a local community or, like, how... How do you feel about that side of it? Um, I'm quite at ease with with working alone. I mean, it's not a, a thing for me. Um, I'm kind of a bit of an introverted freelancer. You know, I'm fine if I need to go to meetings and networking events and things like that. I can sort of get into that. Um, it's no problem. But I do really enjoy working alone and I enjoy my own company and I'm not kind of climbing the walls thinking I really need to get out and see somebody there's a, a great, I know it's not the same, but there's a great online community through Twitter and various Facebook groups, like being freelance, of course. 
so there's always that kind of. I know it's not quite the same when you're sort of interacting with somebody through a through a screen, um, through social media. But I never I never feel really isolated at all. I think that's part of, well, mainly down to my just my nature and my personality. Um, so I don't have that kind of issue really. So I'm quite fortunate in that respect as well. In in which case, I'm sitting here thinking. What does he find challenging? <laughs> this all seems to be going swimmingly. I know. Have, have, I have know. you found anything challenging? Yeah, o- over the years, various things are uh, yeah, challenging. Mean, there's that constant challenge of, it, you know, you've got to find work, basically. You can't expect work to just fall into your lap. And I know I have, over the years, been lucky with, with my clients, which is great. Um, but sometimes, you know, being a freelancer, you get slow months and you think, once I finish this, that and that, I've actually got nothing in the pipeline. Oh, God. You know, so you do have that panic and, you know, you, you think, well, what am I going to do? I need to, you know, do something here. Um, but, you know, aside from the sort of day to day challenges of, of running your business and being a freelancer, um, I think it's it's worked out well but i think that's down to sort of good planning in the early days i mean some work challenges you obviously every day there's something that challenges you um how to write something specifically or you know trying to get inside the mind of the client um, or understand some of these briefs there's all these challenges and financial challenges all the time as you know so um there's always these little things um, but i've been lucky in that there's been no major challenge you know but i think like i say a lot of it comes down to how i planned and did things kind of not necessarily in the right order but i did things before i quit my job to mm. make sure that i i had some sort of protection from things do you know what i mean it's it's difficult to explain but um yeah there's there's always challenges but it's just how you figure it out and work with it to you know get over it or you know, whatever, whatever you need to do to, to work around it. True. So you had a six month buffer when you first went mm. freelance. Did you need it or did it like work out okay from the off? Well, in the early days, of course, it was quite slow. I had that little kind of um, pocket of, of clients um, and work coming in, but it wasn't particularly kind of all the time straight away so I was quite lucky that I had that money and I I did kind of dip into it a little bit but I was very lucky again that you know clients came to me and I was um in the early days of course I I was a bit more kind of out there and you know going to networking things and and making myself known and putting the word out there so I was kind of doing the the right things in trying to uh, to get clients and get work so I didn't I might have dipped into it a little bit at the beginning, but I was quite lucky in that the money and the work was coming in relatively regularly. Um, so it kind of worked out okay. So I didn't really need to dip in that much. Did you then maintain that buffer going forward? Yeah, I think, well, you know, if you don't spend anything, then it, it's kind of still there. So everything on top came in and it just kind of added to it. Um, and then, of course, once you've been going a few years, you need to dip in. Oh, yeah, I need a new iMac. So, you know, that happened and, you know, buying a printer and you know, different things. And you sort of chip away at it. But then I always knew, of course, um, that I needed to pay a tax bill. So um, I was I think the, when I first started out, I was I earned uh, this you know money doing little jobs for, for clients. 
And my, one of my first things I wanted to do was to buy a new iPad. Um, and I thought, oh, hang on a minute, I've got to, I'm going to be taxed on this you know, kind of small sum that I've earned. Um, so I better not spend any of it just in case. And it was just that kind of mindset of, right, well, I, I know that I need to pay tax, uh, you know, payment on account in July and my tax bill in January. And it's just kind of fear. <laughs> you know, don't spend too much because, you know, there's always something to pay out for, you know, not least of all your tax bill. So it's just paranoia and fear, really. I, you know, I don't spend any money unless I really have to. Wonderfully sensible. Does that also, though, give you like the confidence to say no to things? Yeah, I think when, when you have been going for a few years, you can sort of your radar goes off and you can you can tell the signs about kind of do i need this do i actually you know want to this sounds a bit dodge you know do i want to get involved in this and it does give you that kind of freedom almost of having the confidence to say thanks but no thanks you know i I, i'm too busy or whatever it may be and and you sort of don't accept that that job um i don't i i think you could probably count the amount of times I've turned down work on on, a, on, a, on one hand, really. Um, so, and I've tried to take work whenever I can because if you get too complacent, oh no, I don't need that job, then you know you're you're on the on the on the road to a hiding, really. Um, so I've tried to accept work whenever I can, um, and just to make sure that I've got the money coming in and to cover my outgoings and 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 mm. the tax bill, like I said. Now. Graham, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Okay. Uh, I once had a summer job working with Chris Martin of Coldplay. I was given FA Cup final tickets by Liverpool's chief executive, and I was a celebrity stand-in on a national radio show. Okay, let's start there. What do you mean you were a celebrity standing <laughs> on um, a national radio show? Well, the broadcaster Danny Baker had a radio show on BBC Five Live going back a number of years now um, on Saturday mornings. And I phoned in about something completely different, something that he was asking a question to. And I spoke to the researcher or whoever it was that I was talking to, and they went off, put me on hold, came back and said, oh, really sorry, but, you know, we can't, we've got enough information for that particular story now. But do you want to uh, be our celebrity for the sausage sandwich game? (laughs) (laughs) So I said, "Uh, yeah, okay, because their celebrity hadn't turned up, they were late or, you know, whatever, they weren't there. Um, so yeah, I was a celebrity stand-in. But did they did they make you pretend to be a celebrity? No, no, it was purely just the replacement. I I, I didn't have Here's to. Here's Graham from Devon. <laughs> yeah, you might know him from. Um, no, I was. It was it was quite clear that that he had said during the show that this guy hadn't turned up. So therefore. Okay. Um, I was uh, I was available, right place, right time. Wasn't that where you had to say whether you had red or brown sauce on the? Yeah, that's sandwich? right. There was a series of questions, and then the final question would be, you know, does this celebrity when he eats a bacon sandwich does, or sausage sandwich, does he have red sauce, brown sauce, or no sauce at all? Okay, um, I'm saying you you have red sauce. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, who excellent. doesn't? Right, who wouldn't? Um, that feels true. Like weird, but you know, I. <laughs> I have 
I did used to work in radio. Those things do happen. Um, <laughs> and for that matter, Danny Baker would, would make that even probably more entertaining than <laughs> celebrity. So that takes me to, so you got given FA Cup tickets by the chief exec of Liverpool, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In 2001, Liverpool won the FA Cup. Um, and in the run-up to that, um, well, I was a member of um, an official uh, Liverpool supporters club, and a, a few of us used to go up, make special journeys for for the FA Cup in that season, and we went two or three times, and it very quickly became clear once Liverpool had got to the final that um, season ticket holders had first dibs on final tickets, which is fair enough. But I kind of was a bit irked by that because we live in Devon. We'd made that journey several times, you know, on you know a cold January evening, you know, um, up to Liverpool. Um, so I wrote a letter to Liverpool. I don't think it was even to anybody specific, but I just wrote a letter to just sort of make my feelings known, just saying it's, it doesn't really seem fair. We've travelled up all this way and yet we get no chance to um, see the final. Um, and then one evening, a couple of weeks later, I thought nothing of it, but then the phone rang about 10 o'clock at night and it was a chap called Peter Robinson, who was the chief exec at the time and said, Oh, we, we, we've got your letter. And I suddenly thought, Oh my God, <laughs> what's he going to say? Um, and he said, Oh, you know, you make some, you know, fair point and it's an unfortunate situation, but as a, as a gesture of goodwill, and as a sort of thank you for your continued support, I, I want to give you two cup final tickets. So oh man. if this is a true story, that is incredible customer <laughs> service, shall we say. It's very good customer service, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which means, so you worked a summer job with Chris Martin. Yeah. Of, of Coldplay fame. Um, this is going back a number of years. Um, and I just got a bit of a temporary summer job just to, I was at college, so it helped me, you know, go out basically and buy records and go to gigs and stuff like that. And Chris Martin's parents owned, um, funnily enough, Martin's Caravan and Motorhome Centre in Exeter. <laughs> and um, I just answered an ad because they needed somebody to help wash uh, the caravans and motorhomes, essentially. Um, and because they had used vehicles as well, they had a team that they would hire to clean the insides, but nobody to do the outside. Um, and I got that job and I was washing these things and Chris would, cause it was his parents, he would come down as well and help, help out basically. And we got quite, quite pally in the end. How, how old was he then? Uh, he's a few years younger than me. So I think he was probably, oh God, I don't know. I can't remember actually. He was maybe about fifteen. And was he a good van washer? Well, because he was the uh, you know the boss's son, of course it didn't really matter. But he was all right, you know, not not as good as me, of course, you know. Uh, oh my god! Okay, I that is yet another great story that feels true. <laughs> but I'm wondering whether I don't know what his parents do, but it. <laughs> I wonder whether that bit is true and it's near you. And so you thought, well, in theory, that could be like, I wonder whether the fact that you've driven past that <laughs> has spurned that lie within you. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm going to say the Chris Martin one is a lie because it, it, <laughs> well, because I have to pick one. And <laughs> and I reckon maybe you've just driven past it and thought, yeah, I'll chuck that full and that'll do. That's well, the lie. You're going for that one. Okay. Well, that is, in fact, a lie. You're yes! right. Yes! <laughs> now, Graham, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think uh, well, there's, there's so many things. Uh, you can't, it's very difficult to nail it down to just one thing. But I think, in general, I would just say just to trust your instincts and trust the process um, of freelancing because it's very easy to, you know, if you lose out on a pitch or you lose, you know, you quote for something and you don't get it um, and there's no real feedback or whatever, it think little things like that can kind of knock your confidence, um, understandably. But in the old classic saying, you know, one door closes, another one opens, you've got to trust the process that, you know, something else will happen, whatever that may be somebody might phone you that you talked to six months ago and say, oh, we've got this project, whatever. Um, I think just to go, not so much go with the flow, but trust the process and trust that, you know, things will happen and, you know, you put things out there and you get good stuff back. So try and sort of basically hold it together and, you know, trust, trust the process, I think, without freaking out too much. <laughs> Graham, it's been so good to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time. Go go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be a link through so that you can check out Graham's website, which is very nice, by the way. Awesome logo. I did that at work when I was still employed. <laughs> did you? Yeah. What, you, did you do the logo yourself? I did, yeah. I, I, um, I went to a font site and bought a, a font and uh, just played around <laughs> with various different colors and ways of doing things laying it out but then you did used to do graphic design yeah indeed i did dabble so um yeah but don't tell my boss my old boss um (laughs) but yeah i spent many many an hour at work doing things that i probably shouldn't have been doing um to further my own freelance career (laughs) well to be fair it sounds like he got a great deal out of you for um, for writing that brochure instead of hiring a freelancer absolutely yeah let's not feel too bad about it Uh, so you can check out graham's website Uh, go find him of course on twitter and instagram or linkedin or whatever and say hi to him if you've enjoyed this uh that's all at beingfreelance.com where you can also find over 200 episodes um this is season 12 after all so there's enough stuff for you to keep you going and go listen to them graham as i mentioned is a member of the being freelance community uh, come join us beingfreelance.com there's a link through and as i mentioned at the beginning if you're new to being freelance maybe you've just started you're thinking about starting or you've done it in the past year and you're still not quite sure whether you're doing everything right then yeah i've created a new course you can either sign up for the wait list right now at beingfreelance.com or if you're listening to this years into the future get stuck in right now that's all at beingfreelance.com but for now graham thank you so much and all the best being freelance awesome thank you steve much appreciated